0: We want you to thrive here. We want you to be a part of the spirit of this city. And Los Angeles needs you. But if we, we fucking catch you out here one Shitheads time,
1: Worldwide. We're going
0: to Fargo, dog. This will be the inaugural episode, so yeah. we'll use this to just kind of bullshit, and then we'll build out more of a yeah structure, if you will, every yeah. episode, in an attempt to capture not only... The largest shithead activity going on, but <laughs> more pr- more predominantly <laughs> the multitude of different ones. The
1: multitude, the multitude I ha- <laughs> shitheadery is uh. It yeah. only
0: it only made sense though to start on our nation's birthday now, which is January sixth. Yeah.
1: Have you seen the? Uh, there's they it's going on Twitter right now. There's like a sort of documentary slash like uh, what if movie or whatever, where it's like. Donald Trump gets elected, and for his inauguration twenty twenty five, it goes. It like, goes. I Donald Trump declare. Uh, oh, crap. I gotta find. I gotta find the exact. Uh, quote here. Let me see if I can.
0: It's it's a capital up. misunderstanding.
1: Yeah, it's um. Uh,
0: I'm convinced that it's going to actually like sit in the minds of folks similar to 911 i woke up this morning and i saw article after article and like mini like video like compilation of yeah. it was newscaster it was newscasters going the tribulation and pain and suffering it yeah. lives on in so many of us and we go back to that day of horror
1: and, it, <laughs> and i'm just yeah. sitting
0: there i'm like yeah the the thousands of lives that were lost that day, you know? Yeah, that was, a, it, was a, <laughs> it was a brutal shame.
1: It's going to be interesting seeing how that all gets pieced together because he's going to go for, they're going to put him on trial for that. And then they've got a bunch of like sort of auxiliary trials that are going to set the groundwork for what his trial will be. And his trial will likely make it to the Supreme Court. You know, it'll all be interesting how they actually try to present it. To me, I think that there's like a kind of what do you call it? Like uh, you need to show you need to show intention, but you also need to show like imminent lawless action. So like you need as far as like something that's protected by the First Amendment. But I mean, they might not even go the First Amendment route. They might go some other route. I'm not I honestly haven't looked into the deep particulars of how they're going to get them. Uh, but first amendment. So the the
0: defense, the defense would be that you have the freedom of speech. Therefore, yeah. Though well, so. though he's not directly saying do X activity or action. Yeah. It's like in it, it. It can
1: be inferred. Is that where it leads? Yeah. The idea is that they're inferring a certain intention that is not his exact words by looking at um, the history of his behavior in the lead up to the January sixth. Uh, sort of riot or whatever basically saying like he was stringing people along he was he was riling them up he was hinting that it was fake but at the day of when he was actually there he never said to storm the capital he never said to hurt anyone or whatever he said you know go over there peacefully and do whatever so the day of he's missing uh he's missing like any kind of like obvious intent um to incite uh, a riot or do anything like that, and he even, uh, after seeing it start to unfold that way, he even tweeted against it, and then shortly thereafter, he was actually banned from Twitter. So, because um, he was
0: making he was making calls to action and like responding yeah. to it on like vid- on a video
1: feed through Twitter, right? I don't know. I honestly don't know enough about how they're piecing it together, but um, uh, from what I could tell, like you know, it's going to be the stuff that's not, it's going to be around the things that he didn't necessarily say directly to the crowd. It's going to be about all that sur- surrounding context, if anything. And that'll be, out of all, I mean, out of all
0: the things I don't like about him and all the things that I do and I'm entertained by yeah. his, his trolling is trolling is that of the utmost, like that is top tier trolling that you oh, get yeah. in, like entertainment value. I would I would have loved if there was like a like a, a Twitter video and it's just him and he's looking like deadpan at the camera and he goes, "Don't do it, guys," and then yeah. winks and just does his little <laughs> shit eating smile and he's like, "Whatever you guys do, don't go inside." Yeah,
1: <laughs> um, yeah. He could. I mean, that's uh, par for the course. Have you seen his latest? Like he did. He stopped in Iowa recently and he did like a whole uh speech or whatever and that's where he was talking about magnets he's talking about the the magnets Oh, is that where the meme
0: came that's where the meme came from
1: Yeah, like if you pour water on magnets they stop working so you got to be careful and he said why do we why are we using magnets for the uh for the elevators cuz all I know I don't know a lot about magnets but I do know that if you pour water on them they stop working <laughs> and uh Dude, he he credit, does, I think uh, I think he was saying uh electromagnets, right? So if you put a water on an electromagnet, yeah, it'll kinda interrupt it, but honestly it wouldn't because the magnetism is not you would have to disrupt the electric part of it. So I don't know. But that was a good one. Um can't even yeah, imagine being uh, in the crowd,
0: like how do you respond to that and you're in the crowd? like there's a lot of those I don't yeah. follow I haven't been following a lot of the candidates speech like speech um any of their speeches, really, not the public ones. I've seen a few of Vivek's, but Trump always has them same with Biden. they'll have moments in their speeches where it's so vague they just or it's so yeah. off the beaten path of what they're saying, <laughs> and then the whole
1: crowd is like it goes from like Ooh, just wait, wait, yeah. Yeah, I mean, uh, the funny thing about uh, a Donald Trump character is that the despite, you know, he doesn't say a whole lot, but you can tell that, like, he's writing his own stuff, whereas with other presidential candidates, it seems like it's been focus grouped or it's been ghostwritten or something like that. Oh, it's absolutely you know, out of left. It's absolutely out of left field. they never got substance or anything like that with their own, you know, none of the speeches have substance, but at least... You're going to have a substance-less speech. You should at least have a funny, you know, uh, authentic one. And that's kind of where Trump wins in that category. He's, he's just saying shit. Like he, he did the other one was, um, the same speech. He was like this Nikki Haley, you know what she is? She's a globalist. She loves the globe. Well, you know what? I don't like the globe. I like America. (laughs) She likes the globe. And uh, (laughs) I was, I think that's pretty, that's pretty good. That's like, uh, you can't really, you can't even debate that. You can't argue that. You can't debate (laughs) it. Yeah. You can't, um, you couldn't have written that like for him. He would only have been able, like even people trying to parody him could never think of like these little like metaphors and and ticks and stuff that he comes up with. (laughs)
0: Is that it? You think it's probably what it is. It's like it's it's like a high functioning yeah. Asperger's, just like a tick that he's just rolling with, <laughs> and he's it's <laughs> like yeah. sh- sh- he's I-, um... I don't I don't I don't like her I don't like her she's a she's a globalist she likes the globe and I don't like that I like yeah. America he's like <laughs> it's just the de facto yeah. the, I got to say something positive about me being a yeah. nationalist and it needs to be quick and fuck her she likes the globe like it, make, it makes no sense yeah. like no sense well. But,
1: It's a, it's like a way of signaling to like the crowd. So like the whole globalist versus nationalist, like rhetoric is, it predates like Donald Trump by quite a bit. Like there's a certain segment of the right wing that kind of uses that language as a signal. They're basically, you know, they're, they're, they're not exactly hiding what they want. And when they say, when they create groups like America first, they're literally saying like. We want to be isolationist. We want to take care of our own people. We don't want to get involved in foreign wars. This, that, and everything else. And they're they're being pretty blatant about it. And they use the dichotomy of globalist versus nationalist to try and get that point across. Like I'm a nationalist. I care for this nation first. You're a globalist. You care about all the people. And that means that it's going to come at the expense of us or this people. And that's a that's an interesting one, right? Because there is no. There is no perfect answer to that, you know? There's no like perfect liberal response to like, oh, well, you just love everybody except for your own people or like your own your own group that's already here. Um, what do, why are you why are you sacrificing us for them? You know, then they basically they just have to say like, Yeah, I think that the life of like a foreign person who's coming here or is infected by us in some way is exactly equal to the life of someone who's already a citizen who's already contributed who's already having uh taxes extracted from them and so on i just think it's all you know it's it's all interchangeable in some sense and that it's just a series it's just a bunch of ideas and in some sense they're right but it it's also not a very appealing like pitch right you're kind of you're kind of saying like yeah i i i will just let everybody come in and do whatever they want and i'm not really Making sure that you do that, you people do well. Um, if you do, that's great. If you don't, whatever, you know.
0: Because the natural step for uh, nationalism would be to fall towards isolationism, which is to eradicate literally the problem that you just described. Which is, if I can take care of and be as benevolent as possible to those that are here, then I can curate yeah. a better society in the future. Thus, being more pragmatic for the nation state. In opposition, you'd find it if you're just encouraging more and more and more immigration and you're eroding that. Like, I guess the piece that you'd want to say would be well, you're inviting more folks and you're bringing more about this cultural melting pot, which is what started all of this. But at the same time, to what degree of life and quality of life? So, like today, for instance, yeah. what's the quality of life for those that are in like the lowest economic strata in America versus those that aren't? I mean, I'd say it's like disproportionately sad that's really what it comes down yeah. to. It's just saddening like you see folks just struggling in every way shape or form and that's not a yeah. way that you would want to live or be like encouraging people to live. So then if you go the opposite direction, you go more nationalistic, then you start to say, well, maybe if we isolate first and then fix from within, we can get to a state where we can then erode this right. isolationism. It doesn't seem like that sits well though, like as a as a liberal yeah. talking point, it doesn't sit well. Yeah, as a libertarian talking it's, point, because it, it takes away from manifest destiny. It takes away from people having agency of freedom to come here. And uh-huh.
1: yeah, I mean, there's kind of like what you're saying. So like, yeah, the the liberal, the, at least the modern liberal kind of doesn't agree with that uh, for the reasons I gave and the reasons you're giving. And then, the you know, this sort of libertarian-esque kind of person they view human capital like the free movement of labor as like this indispensable building block or like foundation block for a global economy for anyone's economy right they say, they think that you should be you know that labor should be essentially as commoditized as possible as Freely organized, meaning that it constantly individuates itself, competes against itself and uh, sorts itself into specializations Um, and it should be available to move anywhere it's most needed to the highest bidder um, at any time and then through that mechanism. You get this, like, you know, the competition will will create an equilibrium, it'll lower the prices, and it's basically just a way of saying, like, I want cheap labor for everything, right? <laughs> um, it, so, it all comes I mean, down it, it to does It does make sense in that sense, but then kind of what you were saying, right, so the nationalist project doesn't seem that bad. It, it doesn't necessarily, even though it's now people who detract from it, they kind of infuse it with all kinds of like racial supremacist undertones and you know there's this exclusion it's racially or ethnically exclusionary or blah 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 but at the same time it's like you know we already have a very diverse uh sort of constituency throughout the country and if you were to just get a candidate or a government that would get in power and then would say okay all right uh everyone who's here already great uh, you're welcome uh, get to, we're gonna we're gonna organize you we're gonna find the best place for you to work we're gonna make sure that you start to pay into all of the various programs that we have we're gonna make it so that your lives are on track uh, in the 5 10 15 year direction and we're gonna coordinate with you to do that and in the meantime we're gonna shut the border down almost entirely until we can control and organize what's already here and to make it actually work for the people um and then uh once we see that there's signs of improvement and that people are getting what they need out of the economy uh then we'll open up the border gradually and we'll just create you know very uh measured selective uh waves of new immigrants that will fill specific gaps but that level of organization frankly at least in terms of like america's traditions has never really been necessary right it's it's just not how this country came about that's closer to like how germany would do something they make sure to control everything in that as in those aspects um and they all you know it's not like they don't also want cheap labor and all this and that but the Germans look at it as, as as like a kind of unified whole and they say like, all right, well, is this going to just fuck over all of the things that we have in the short and medium term in exchange for a little bit cheaper labor? Probably. Okay. So let's, let's put the tamp down on it.
0: The interplay in their culture um, is awesome too. When you see how that in turn manifests itself with how they decide to not only live, but work, right? It's, It's like you just said, it's the entire ecosystem of what they're going after and what they're doing. They're not thinking, is it for me? Is it for my material gain? Is it for my cheaper labor? If I'm a business owner, it's not necessarily to that effect. It's I'm already getting my time off. I'm already getting my holidays. I'm already getting my village, my culture, my family, my friends, all of these things fulfilled. So how can I play into that system? And though nationalistic and socialized in many regards like it does put that prowess on the individual to make those steps and to take action like where they actually find it most promising and formidable opposed to in America where it's kind of just all over the place it's like you have more agency of freedom and access yeah but it doesn't necessarily mean that it's going to translate into anything better
1: yeah the thing is that yeah it's it's almost like um so, like, when people talk about um, when people talk about like the good old days in America and stuff like that, they're actually talking about like this time when there was like this uh, effuse level of like organization that was just inherent to the culture, and it was basically because you were dealing with a bunch of like European Protestants from Northern Europe, people that would have been from Germany, England, Sweden you know a little bit of france but mostly uh england and germany and then there's this kind of mode of organization and this idea of like yeomanry right so like you're a yeoman on the land which means like free man on the land and it's descended it's sort of taken from like the english tradition that the thing that an englishman wants to do is he wants to get his own property he wants to get his own land and he wants to be self-sufficient but he also when it comes to interacting with other people it's like you need to organize with them as efficiently as possible in order to lessen the burden that you yourself as an individual have to share so like yeah you get your privacy you get to be away from others you get some level of freedom on your own property but when it comes to like dealing with other people you just need to come up with a standard a plan stick to it and then enforce it um and that's kind of that's slowly breaking apart because that that's not like it's not taken for granted anymore that sort of uh standard i guess you call it um but it's present in other places and if you go back to england you see quite a bit of that the only issue with england itself now is like that ideal of like Having your own land and property and so on is basically impossible for the newer generations because the the island is one of the most popu- densely populated uh, places in the world. Um, they, it's full, right? So it makes sense for like a country like England to be like, okay, uh, thanks for coming, uh, but we're closing the doors for a little while. It's It's fucking full. There's literally not enough land for us to build on without getting rid of our remaining farms and parks and all the rest and uh that is uh that's kind of the predicament they're in whereas in america you can always make this justification like okay so all the cities are full they're way too expensive rent is too high blah 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 the cost of living is insane well you can kind of move to a second tier or a third tier city or you can go and find a brand new city that just fucking sucks right now and you can get there uh low rent and you can build something out of it and there's plenty of space and if you want to keep building little ranch houses further and further out into the countryside you can you just create this very long chain network of kind of like what you see in Texas right where it's like yeah there's a lot of space between everyone but you never see you don't see like a perfectly deserted Piece of land. It's always like someone's ranch or someone's, you know, operation. You see signs of. That's how I feel uh, where I live. It's like
0: you're just you're basically like a a rocks throw away from like a little bit more civilization, which is then yeah another twenty minutes on the highway, and then boom, you're in the city, you're in the metroplex, and to have that like have that extension of networking is beautiful because then it means you have access to obviously the amenities and like the luxuries that one would want but not the burden of having to live and be engulfed with thousands of people in such a small little area of like your neighborhood or your community is 25,000 people and you don't know anybody. You don't know what anybody's doing. Like the lifestyles at that point tend to change and differ drastically. The goals and commonality falters and it's just, it's, it's interesting how the more people. I mean, I guess it's not terribly interesting, but to me it is. Like to think that you have so many people, but yet it's so diverse in the same exact location. I would almost like the group think yeah. would take over that it would like culturally, and maybe that's the next step in society, is Once everybody's reclused to their digital landscapes, they're like, well, all I really have now because I share everything with everybody here is, is just the fact that I'm from this city. I'm a I'm a Houstonite. I'm a Los yeah. Angeles local
1: and we all are well that's like an interesting phenomenon, like the idea that like you know like when those cities were started they were started by specific groups of settlers and those settlers that started the various cities all throughout the midwest and everywhere else they had like an ethnic character a racial character to them they had this kind of you know like when i was in um what is it it's not was it is it cincinnati ohio where i was And it was settled by German Catholics or whatever. Um, And you could see the remnants of that culture were spread throughout the city. And you could see that at one point they all shared something in common. But then kind of like what you're saying now with like uh, social media, you have this uh, atomization of people. They all become (laughs) broken up, individualized, and um, they... They relate to the culture of their city, but they relate to it as like a commoditized version of the city's culture. It's real history and it's real uh, authentic sort of existence is basically just like uh, commodified and resold and repackaged over and over again to each individual. And it's up to you to kind of relate to it in that way or else, you know, strike out on your own and, and create something new. And that's, you know, I guess that's the way our culture in general, because of technology.
0: Isn't that sad? Because it's like America is now having that moment where when you walk through Rome and you feel the sense of like the locals are stuck in a new world, they're stuck in a new world and all the beautiful architecture, all the beautiful architecture is there. The spirit is there, but they're not living in, they're not living in what made it amazing, what made it great and now every city in america is having yeah. that same identity crisis of like san francisco is not san francisco it's not it's not a tech yeah. capital it's a sad disgusting place detroit was the prior city that would have been looked at as like oh that's going to be the next nope no it's not chicago baltimore the the li- yeah. new york city the the list continues to go on and I don't think it's necessarily politicized. I think it's just what happens is these things become, these cities and metroplexes become so great or known, like you're saying, like they they have an orientation towards something specific, whether that's the cultural understanding or it's just as the group is evolving, it turns into an identity. But then a generation, two generations later, especially when they're encapsulated with social media, especially when they're more self-isolated, when they're not interested in community, they find themselves at this crossroads and what a disparaging place to be where you're where you're walking around this architecture and all this beauty and you can't even feel like you're truly a part of
1: it. You're more like a visitor. and Yeah. Yeah. You're constantly, you're like a tourist in your own city or something like that because it's like I was saying, it's, it's commodified. It's all, it's all packaged into a series of consumable products that um, you sort of, you're supposed to like pick them up and build them like in a like your own personal identity by through the act of consuming but in a way that kind of cheapens the whole thing because you know you're just you're just inauthentically repeating a um like a mode of living that has since passed you're you're postmodern and these cities were at one point modern and of course you know you can say that maybe that was like restrictive and stifling in some way for people. And that's why they gave it up. But at the same time, it's like the, the new creations in the city are few and far between and the level of like actual functioning and pride in, you know, keeping it clean, uh, cooperating with your neighbors, um, you know, investing in your own property and improving it. that, kind of falls away um it's it's just not and that's not, the crazy it's thing priority it's anymore. the most expensive it's ever been it's
0: the most lavish it's the most yeah. assumingly lavish it's ever been i'm sure at moments in history yeah. people have probably looked at their own situation in difference to how now people might look at their situation but speaking like just off basis of the living quality it's a lot better and so to think that those areas are not, like you're saying, they're not fixed. They're not better. They don't have an infrastructure that would make anyone just go, wow, how do I replicate? How do I do that? Like, no, no, there's nobody right now that's in charge of a city going, you think we can just do what they're doing in Chicago? Like, how, how do we do that? And be like, well, what do you mean? Like, yeah. like, like create more, create more gun violence in our city. Like just bring in more unregistered <laughs> weapons and anarchy. Like, how, how do we do that? No, like, and, oh, well, maybe maybe we do what they're doing in L.A. or outside of San Francisco. It's like, just let people, like, open air, shoot up, and shit on themselves. Like, you, we want... And it's sad, because you could look at these places and say, like, oh, like, it's their transportation. Oh, it's their architecture. Oh, it's their academia. Maybe Boston and a handful of other cities are, like, the last ones that will be eradicated off the list, but... I'm at a I'm at a standstill thinking of it as a place worth living granted I'm biased I don't live in a city
1: anymore I mean it's you know I I mean the way it kind of works is like um, when the cities were built there was the sense of like individual you know and it's 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 all over america there is this sort of individualism that characterized america it's not quite the sort of myth mythic version that you sometimes see people talk about but it was there um and over time like the kind of regard for the individual has kind of become deranged in a way so now it's not just about like your individual entrepreneurial or um labor contribution and how you uh exact like the best kind of price for your labor or for your products how do you improve them how do you organize stuff like that like the real basic questions of like how you make things function that kind of gets pushed to the wayside at least for um it's it's this combination right so it's like the the sort of dregs of every city the people that are the dropouts the sort of social outcasts um you know rejects of one way or another they they kind of cooperate or they they feed off of the increasingly liberalized attitudes of the richest and most well-off within the city and so like it's this weird combination of like the stewards of every city are kind of becoming lax about what they think um an individual has to actually account for in uh the course of their going about their day in a city. So now it's not like um okay, yeah, you're allowed to like do this kind of business however you want or like in you know, bring some kind of new product to the marketplace and this and that. Instead, it's like, oh, well, you as an individual have like this Uh, perfect kind of autonomy. So if you decide that like the best use of your time is shooting up drugs in public or shitting on the street or whatever, stealing stuff like as a career. Yeah. I mean, we understand, we see where you're at here and we understand that that is a valid choice for you to make. So instead of like not tolerating it at all, which is how it used to be because it was seen as like basically like this idea of individuality and uh, autonomy kind of used to it used to be married to this idea of self-mastery which is something that's like a really old sort of western kind of uh civilizational ideal right so like once you master yourself then you're free so you're the, the idea goes like you're not really free if you're addicted to a drug right you're not really free if you like can't provide for yourself in any other way than by hurting someone else. You know, you you're not really free if to, if you're living that way. So it it goes without saying, or at least it used to, that um you should avoid all of those uh antisocial behaviors because you're what you're really doing is you're you're enslaving yourself to yourself, and that goes against the ethos of everything that they want to do in the West. But that kind of That self, that idea of self mastery, uh, has been like deconstructed and relativized and sort of thrown out the window. To where, even though the richest and most well off in every city certainly still adhere to it in their personal lives, because that's how they became so rich and that's why they stay in control of these cities, that's why they are in the the elite institutions. They don't necessarily tell other people to be that way anymore, which is what they used to do. Like you used to have like the sort of grand oligarchical forces of like the major American cities. They would, they would, they would help the poor and they would help people get on the right track, but they would also at the same time sort of chastise them for their bad habits and their bad behavior. They're not thrifty enough. They're not so they're not, uh, what's the word? Not sober. Um, What's the one? It's like when you're, oh, it's on the tip of my tongue, but I don't know. Here, here's one
0: to uh, chew on. Are you familiar with planned? Obs- are you familiar with planned obsolescence with like yeah. manufacturing? So, for in yeah. relationship, a politicization, yeah. right? The fact that we're in like the dichotomy of a two-party system in America. Do you think that it is possible, if not likely? That the allowance of these types, the archetype characters you described, those that are contributing in an antisocial manner, those that are getting addicted to drugs, causing crime, eliciting more issue to the community, are a component of the planned obsolescence within the entirety of the city. And so there is a there's a benefit into allowing okay. that to continue to spread, given that it will further the progress of this planned obsolescence in terms of the society there thus making it easier to pander, showcase opportunity in different ways or to try to get more buy-in to the specific political party that's in power at the time. Because I think you see it in those cities that are struggling. They still keep getting voted in. The same groups are still just as prevalent as they were 10 years ago. Things have gotten dramatically worse and they're just selling a new version of bullshit.
1: Yeah, it's... um yeah what you're describing is like like what if they're letting the cities fall to shit because they don't really the people that used to control them uh in terms of like owning all the property and extracting rent and so on from them those people are basically just they've moved on they found somewhere else that they can extract rent from they realize that like the real estate within a city is a bit of a losing game uh right now and it's best that over time like you just let it fall apart and then you come back in when it's like at a super low price because it's been allowed to fall apart and then you buy it up demolish it and uh, build something new with it and so like a place like San Francisco is kind of like that where there are a lot of really nice neighborhoods all the wealthiest tech affiliated people live in them and um, what do you say Uh they, they don't need to be there in the city. They can afford to just kind of sit at home or they can go anywhere in the country really to perform their duties or they live in like, you know, a Palo Alto type place and then, you know, the, the city is just like a couple of nice plots and then, you know, the commercial area and the tenderloin and stuff kind of, they're just letting that kind of rot away because it's a containment zone. Of, of sorts. Um, yeah.
0: Well, that's what, that's what it feels like when you go to a lot of these places, you go in there and you're like, wow, it's beautiful right here. And then everybody you yeah, meet goes, yeah. Hey, don't go to the North Southwest East. And you're just like, wait, huh? Wait, there's always, yeah. there's always like a quadrant or two that I can't go to. And they're like, absolutely not. You're not going to, you will yeah. not be good. If you go there and you go, okay, why isn't that being like fixed? Cause at first you go, okay. But then you go one level deeper and you go, if everybody here knows that that's the spot, like when I think about like Chicago, that's like my biggest thing is I go, I grew up traveling there and my family's from there. And I see when you drive through like everybody else, the exact same areas that have been in the exact same turmoil for fucking 40, 50 years. Like it's, it's astounding to me to think that there's be somebody that's paid a hundred plus thousand dollars a year. And their job is, Hey, can you just like make projects to like try to (laughs) fix this shit? And they go, yeah, yeah, I can do that. Right. I can definitely do that. And then nothing, no, and then nothing happens. They just collect their money, and they're like, they're like, well, I was busy at getting tea at at lunch like seventy five times this year, yeah. and I don't know where the time went. You know, I was getting my hair done and my nails done. I had all these brainstorming sessions with donors and with different, and I, yeah. <laughs> you know. But next year, well, next year I we're mean, gonna really buckle down. And we're going to take this head off. We're going to take it head on.
1: Like, you know, uh, people kind of infiltrating the city bureaucracy and then using it to sort of pay off or like they, they it becomes part of like a patronage network where like certain groups within the city are funneling money to themselves through public office. And they're creating these intractable problems that will inevitably require that the budget for their department or whatever it is get increased the next year. Then they pocket more of the money, so on and so forth. It helps that those things are never solved like homelessness in LA. There's someone that's paid, it's not a hundred thousand. It's like they're paid like $450,000 a year to solve the homeless problem in LA. And it's like for $450,000 a year, Uh, you could come up with some ideas. The problem isn't so much that there's no ideas, or you know, there's just oh boy, shucks, we've just never thought about it hard enough. It's that the actual solutions are uh, they're they're possible, but the rest of the bureaucracy and the city officials don't want it to happen because then they lose their budget for that. Right? Then it's oh, you solved the problem? Well, you don't need all this money anymore. Um and all the while of course you know like the average citizen people who live in those places the people that are afflicted by uh you know drug addiction like these people are getting their asses you know like they're dying they're getting (laughs) raped they're getting they're they're getting getting fucked on a regular basis stolen from them even just living in one of these places isn't that great because you know you got to put up with all the other shitheads that are living around you in these tents and um yeah they're gonna they're gonna do bad things to you but that's apparently that's not really worth policing. Um, Hmm. To me, it seems like you would start with like the most visible signs of like social decay. And then you would, you would do two things to kind of be fair. You would be, you know, harsh on the street presence of those kinds of things. You'd have lots of patrols, lots of police willing and able to break it all up, to shut it all down. But then you would also actually create like a way for these people to access housing Um, but I mean, there, there's your problem, right? It's that, that probably would cost more, uh, than what already they're spending. So maybe they don't want to spend all of it that way. Maybe, I don't know exactly what the, the hindrance to like affordable housing type schemes are. I know there's probably like this pattern that emerges and everywhere that it's tried. Um, but I mean, clearly there's, there's access to
0: send, uh como city say undocumented immigrants from the border to wherever the fuck they need to drop them off yeah. at so maybe we just maybe we just go to a bastion of a hellish landscape let's call it one of the dakotas <laughs> and we start building ti- we start building tiny homes <laughs> in the dakotas and then as we catch folks you, you give them like a one strike policy like you're saying we we get we kick it old school and go listen we want you to thrive here we want you to be a part of the spirit of this city And Los Angeles needs you. But if we fucking catch you out here one more time, you're going to Fargo, dog. You're fucking gone. We're pushing you out. You're getting on the fucking bus. Somebody's going to take your job. See ya. And then they're stuck in an area where there's no, like, there's nothing other than the manual labor that will be available to them. You're not going to be able to walk away. They'll have to inherently work hard enough to get transportation that's reliable to get them back to a coast. And then you three-strike them, and everybody knows what happens in the Middle East when you three-strike somebody, yeah. so maybe we just <laughs> take it one step further. Well, yeah, I mean... I mean, in Texas, there's the infrastructure. We've
1: got the prisons out here. Yeah. People are making boatloads of fucking cash off these yeah. prisons.
0: Like I'm sure they wouldn't mind.
1: I mean, it's... uh, These are problems that can be solved if there were the political will present for them to be solved, but because we don't have the political will they never get solved well it's, that's why I was getting at with planned obsolescence I was
0: like there's got to be a rationale for
1: not yeah. doing it um, there is I mean I'm I, I think that you would need like to really do it you would have to get like this grassroots movement that elects somebody who kind of like the Bukele character in South um, in El Salvador and he basically within a year, he takes El Salvador, which has like one of the highest homicide rates in the world. And he changes it to have one of the lowest homicide rates in the world. And then he kept it that way for the last couple of years that he's been on office. And he did it by taking uh, all the MS 13 members building a gigantic fucking new prison and then rounding each and every one of them up in a, basically a giant dragnet and uh, putting them in there. If you had any kind of sign or, um affiliation with MS13 they throw you in there like a tattoo or some kind of marking that they thought you had and then you know lo and behold when you take all of the murderous thug people out of society just forcefully overnight it's the problem is it's it's gone faster than you can really contemplate it and the thing that that would is he He had the opening to do that in a country like El Salvador with the structure of government and with the grassroots support that put him into power and kept him there. But I think in a place like America, there's so many conflicting interests that they would sort of act to prevent you from coming up with a, a simple solution like that. Like To me, it's like if you wanted to solve all these problems in cities overnight... Um, Double the police budget, hire on police, uh, try and get ones that are uh, former military or try and get the national, you know, something like to the equivalent of like the National Guard. Obviously, the National Guard itself is constitutionally prohibited from enforcing laws. Um, But basically kind of load up front load the police, uh, put them, you know, basically like mob the areas of the cities that are full of crime just get a thousand eyeballs on it so that they'll catch whoever it is doing whatever it is when they are out doing it. And uh, then straight away uh, jail bail is set at extremely high or not at all. And trials are fast tracked for everyone. Um, And then you're sentenced and then you go to a shiny new prison. And then those people have been taken out of the population and that allows for the people who remain there's still going to be people in those problem areas, but now those people aren't being predated upon by their fellow. They're not held. Yeah, victim, they're not being exactly. victimized by their neighbors, and that allows them to branch out and to start forming new connections and to start administering to themselves in a way that they were prevented from doing by the local powers and at least in america i mean the idea is that our police are too corrupt um they're racist they're you know something's going on with them and there's no way they could ever be trusted to do something like that but it's just like i mean to to me it's like it are 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 you a violent criminal are you selling like heroin to people like are you prostituting out women and beating them like what are you doing all these things like it it doesn't matter what race you are whatever like you should just be put in prison for a long time so that you can chill out and uh, hopefully uh, save all of the people that you were essentially just killing for your own personal short-term gain like when you sell people these hard drugs or whatever uh or you in you inculcate them within a network of drug use that then opens them up to the opportunity of uh ingesting like a drug that they weren't expecting like fentanyl uh that just makes you drop dead out of nowhere i mean preventing that sort of stuff from ever getting any traction anywhere would save so many lives it would improve the lives of everyone and then for everyone who's left over you know make sure that there are programs for Uh, starting businesses, going to school, stuff like that. You know, all contingent on good behavior, stuff like that. but to me, that's like, that's not like you know, we're not, we're not talking like Third Reich kind of level uh authoritarian intervention. We're, We're not talking like Final Solution. You know, kill everyone who's not like uh middle class and above type thing. It's literally just like find and target these cancerous sort of cells within the body politic and just eliminate them entirely and make them a non-factor and then see what happens see how much happier people can be and you know obviously have some kind of due process uh you don't want to just randomly abduct people and you know (laughs) you put them put them in jail but like uh, to me no but
0: what you're saying is real because that's the corporal punishment like that, that's the corporal punishment rationale is quick, immediate and understood, which means yeah. you're there, they're every, they're everywhere like you said, heavy presence they see it, they act on it It's not like these police that are like walking by and just looking left and then glancing back right like we can't do anything. All right yeah. we'll move on. <laughs> no, I want them I want them up front smacking fucking flexi cuffs on these people going, "Hey buddy, you're coming with us. you just did it. we caught you in the cancer." And now you're gone. And what that does is it speaks to the next generation. It speaks to the people around. It speaks to the victims of all of that. It speaks to the entirety of the population saying, Oh, ho, ho. when you do X here, there's people for that. And they will literally just take you away. And then you yeah. have to like a child, you have to like a child, you have to go sit and time out. And when you sit in time out long enough, maybe you can come back and go, I don't want to sit and time out anymore. That fucking sucked, man. <laughs> I was eating shitty food on a styrofoam tray, doing push-ups all fucking day, having to shave my head to fit in with these fucking guys that are apparently here for 50 years. Like, I don't want to fucking do this shit. And hopefully, like in the countries, like in the Middle East, where a lot of these crimes are predicated upon by the worst subset of the whole group because mostly everybody else understands, we're not going to do that because the risk is not worth the reward. They're going to just snatch me up and they're going to put me
1: away. Yeah, I mean, in the Middle East, they chop your hand off if you steal. Um, and then, you know, the question is, because now it's, it's two things, right? It's, it's corporal punishment, so there's like this immediate sort of visceral um, experience of pain and punishment, but then there's also the permanent scar that it leaves, which is that your hand is missing, so everyone you meet from then on out will think that you were, at least at one point, a thief. So they've been branded to the group and they have to act accordingly. It it humbles them in a way. And I'm not saying you should necessarily chop everyone's hands off, but like doing something that sort of, these are like tried and true. I, I mean, obviously people make a case nowadays that like, Oh, this, all this, you know, all this crime and punishment type, uh, uh, ideology or theory or whatever we want to call it oh it's it's all just a bunch of bullshit it's all just a bunch of thinly veiled authoritarian sort of glee in smacking down the weak and the vulnerable uh so we should you know we should abandon it outright but like i don't know i mean uh, and i this just it just contradicts which is everything. sad It contradicts, contradicts equal everything. opportunity well it contradicts everything i've learned about like how life works you know what i mean like uh, is humans respond extraordinarily well to pain and to the anticipation of pain. Like it's like putting your hand on a stove. The first time you do it, you don't even know what's coming, but once you do it, if you're not a fucking idiot, you'll never do it again because you can feel <laughs> the the pain, right? Unless you have amnesia, you'll know that for the rest of your life, how bad it can be. And you just don't do it anymore. You know, same thing. Like, you know, if someone if someone likes to beat up their girlfriend or whatever in a relationship, well, all it would take is like one time their parents or their father, someone who's a a, a similar male figure catching them and beating their ass, right? And saying, you don't do this. That's enough for them to kind of, it's, it's enough to humble them. It's enough to put the fear of whatever in them. And unless they're a total murder sociopath and then they turn around and like kill that person, they're probably not going to do it again because they understand like, it it, it kind of speaks to like when i talk to my coworkers about how they discipline their children or whatever and it's it's funny because it's like it's always these uh, i it's always like these older black guys or whatever and they're talking about how they raise their sons uh their black sons or whatever and they're like look i i just i lay the smack down on them whenever i see them doing anything that's improper or you know something that would get them in trouble even if they're not necessarily going to get in trouble that exact time i'm going to be the one that intervenes because these guys, these kids, their brains aren't developed enough to like think of the really long-term complex consequences for their behaviors in life. They don't have that capacity in them yet, but they do have the capacity to feel and understand pain. And they do have the capacity to understand like the pecking order that is in the family, which is that the father disciplines the children, right? So that might sound to, you know, a lot of modern ears like uh you know you're just being abusive to your kids or whatever but it's like no it's um you know supposing that you can't reason with your kids and tell them like hey bad idea bad long term uh you won't be able to continue doing that without inflicting harm on yourself whatever uh so i'm going to since i can't tell you that can't communicate that to you adequately i'm going to hit you or i'm going to like threaten you in some way that at least is saying like here is something that you can comprehend in the short term which is pain. you're just you're being hard on your
0: kid in the yeah. in the present so your child is not broken in the future
1: right and i don't and think there's anything wrong with that to me that's like a that's a simple trade off i mean obviously there there is a sense in which it can be genuinely abusive in the sense that like maybe all you ever do is whenever you're upset personally with the kid you all you do is hit them and you do it for fun now that's a little different right it's not the same as um doing it to genuinely scare them from from doing bad things to themselves and others in the future that that to me that corporal punishment element um obviously we've we've gone pretty far away from it um in recent years. Isn't that
0: crazy though? There's countries where you, you literally looting will turn into a physical condition for the rest of your life. And yeah. then looting in looting in a first world country city, they're just like, There's no uh <laughs> uh sorry, uh, there's nothing we're gonna do about that. And yeah, the business owner's like, Wait, what do you mean? I just call I just called the police. Like they just stole all my shit and they're like, I know, I know, I know, I know. Have you considered nothing's going to fucking happen about it. Yeah, that's
1: basically
0: those people have been disenfranchised socially and they're at a disadvantage (laughs) and they're just working the only way they know how to provide for them and their family. And I think you need to reflect on your point of privilege being in the fact that you're a business owner. You don't have (laughs) to go loot, but if you so choose to loot now that you have nothing left, feel free to walk to any other shop on this block (laughs) and we'll have the same conversation with those owners. And they're just like, Wait, what? I think corporal punishment's great. I think it's got a place. I think it makes sense. I think that it it toils the lines of abuse if it gets too intense, right? Like how you described. But if again, if it's done where it's understood, it's quick, and in nature, it's a reflective moment to go, "Oh, that action actually, in turn, makes this happen." Like you said with the stove, yeah. that's like the age old example you never fucking do it again. Yeah, I remember being at the, I remember being at the warehouse and I would joke in Northern Kentucky and we would talk about some of the folks that would work in the warehouse and they would lose their jobs for wearing headphones and listening to music or any sort of electronics while they were driving around on the machines. And it was in every training. It was on day one. You'd be told by education managers, Hey guys, welcome to the buildings. Um, Please do not put your fucking phone out on the machinery. They will fire you the same day. They will take your health care away. It will all go away. The free college, we promised you, it all goes away. So don't fucking do that. And every single week, I would be in a room firing somebody for getting caught doing that. And you had to ask them this list of safety questions. And one would be like, when were you trained? Did anybody tell you about the protocol you were in violation of? And they would always say... Nobody ever told me, which I knew no, was a bold faced no. lie. I knew, I knew that was a bold faced lie because it's like, well, there's posters every fucking where you can't even piss yeah. and not read a poster above a urinal that says, hey, by the way, dumb fuck, don't pull your phone out, please. For the love of God. Don't do it. Please don't do it. And yeah. you go and fi- you go and fire him. And I turned around to my buddy and I was like, when I was in the military. They would say, don't do this one thing. And they said it a lot. But I remember them always being like, hey, don't do that thing or whatever it was. And you'd go, okay, I didn't even have to learn the fucking lesson. Every (laughs) once in a while, somebody, I guess, would push the button and they would learn the lesson. But you just knew if a grown man is being adamant with me and telling me and saying, do not do this one thing, I'm just going to not fucking do it for fear. Like you said, the anticipation of fear was I just don't want to even I don't you don't even need to tell me. I don't even care enough to know that I just know that you're so adamant and in a position of employment or power or advantage or privilege, if you want to use that fun word, to where I'm not in my position to argue, combat, question. I'm just going to say, all right, not fucking worth it. The corporal punishment, it's somewhere in the future. Don't even know what it is, but it's not worth it. Because I learned through corporal punishment a million fucking times growing up. But then you see folks that that don't have that. And you watch how they act and how they interface with the rest of society, and you go, Jesus fucking Christ, you must have not been humbled or instilled with fear or just instilled with consequence. Like I said, yeah. timeout earlier. Like everybody remembers what time out felt like when they were four or five years old. Like, why am I standing in the fucking corner? But if you were a grown man and it was like, oh, I just got caught stealing from the CVS and now I'm in actual jail jail for six months. No. All I did was steal deodorant. No, hmm. no. Well, guess who's never going to fucking steal deodorant. You're going to probably sneak into planet fitness and use the fucking soap and shower in the free showers, but you're not going to go into CVS and steal deodorant ever again. Cause you're going to know, Oh, there's a really quick, a really quick visceral turn for when I have this behavior. But there's that piece that's, I guess, struggling for many folks in America is, is that too harsh or what's the line to draw? And To what you said, that's real. A lot of folks will say, well, it's only impacting, you know, the most disenfranchised and the most hurt and the most at risk and susceptible. But to me, that goes against everything that I've been taught about how to become a free agent of this society, which is I have equal opportunity. I should be able to make the decisions for myself that come with the consequences from those decisions. And I'm not saying that everybody's at a equal playing field mentally to make the same type of decisions because if we all were, we'd all be dumb wealthy with dumb, crazy accomplishments and that's not the case. But to say that I'm not going to make the most terrible decision on a regular basis, that's just going to push me further and further and further into an antisocial, anti-climatic anti-productive way of living. Like I, I don't find that to be that controversial. I think that's an action and a choice that people are making in their lives daily to say, yeah, I'm not free and I'm going to make myself not free. Like you said, whether it's an addiction, whether it's a fortitude to whatever community of violence or criminality they're putting themselves in, it's a choice. That's why I don't feel any sort of resemblance of like sadness or sympathy when I interact with these folks, similar to the folks I was just describing that worked at that warehouse. I'd go... You got told you were explicitly told the corporal punishment. Like when I was growing up, nobody told me like, Hey, if you go fuck with that stuff over there, that's your father's, you're going to get smacked in the mouth. Like nobody told me that. (laughs) Nobody said, when I walked, dude, I walked outside one day, I was like six years old and we were like, Oh, if you shake up sodas and you throw them on the fucking ground, they explode. And we were like, Oh dude, we're going to, we're, we're going to go down a few houses and we're going to shake up some fucking sodas and we're going to ding dong ditch this fucking kid's house and they're going to explode when they open the door. And guess what we did? We fucking rang that doorbell, threw those sodas in the air. They exploded when this fucking kid's mom opened the door. And by the time I ran through the woods and was at my front door, my mom was beating my ass. She had already <laughs> gotten a fo- she had already gotten a phone call. She was like, "Get the fuck inside!" And when PJ's dad comes home, you're fucking next. And I was like, "Wait, what?" I wasn't there. I, I what, and she's like, "Oh, where were you in the woods?" And smacked me in the mouth. And I was like, "Oh, fuck." Nobody had to tell me that that was going to happen. So as an adult, when people like tell me, oh, this is what's going to happen, this is going to be the corporal punishment, it's easy for me to go, okay, I'm not going to do yeah. that. Sounds well, good. Mean, oh, there's, there's, a code, there's a codified book here. There's an employee handbook. There's a subset of rules and regulations. There's a When I was in the military, a uniform code of military justice. I'm just going to do my best to never get caught or to not do any of these fucking things. And yeah. it's that easy.
1: Well, I mean, the thing about the military is like, military, they can throw you in the brig, right? They can just straight up jail you for not doing what you're supposed to do when you're supposed to do it. And that's like a great motivator. <laughs> and it's, you know, the the kind of stuff, you just don't quite get that same level of, uh, I don't know, lackadaisicalness or whatever. Although people still, obviously, since it's such a big institution now, lots of people end up in it um, all the time, but... uh I mean, no, there's jails
0: there's jails yeah. in the military right yeah. you can get fucking you can get in the mix you can get caught yeah. you can fuck off and they'll put yeah. you away yeah. but most of the people are not in that situation because yeah. like i was describing the middle eastern countries most of the people are like yeah the fear is good enough for me to yeah. never fucking do that <laughs> it's good when i do when i was in amsterdam i remember getting there and i was like oh dude i made it to mecca I remember growing up and I'd be bullshitting with the boys going, one day I'm going to get to Amsterdam and I'm going to get so fucking high. And then I got to Amsterdam while I was in the military and I was like, well, this is either God testing me or (laughs) it's just a sign that I'm in a position where if I indulge, I'm going to lose everything. And the people yeah. I were with that I was with there, they all got kicked out of the fucking military. We my entire unit got drug tested the Whoa. day that I returned back from Amsterdam. I shit you not. I woke up, the flight chief had knocked on my door. I had like 30 missed calls because I drove. So I was exhausted. So I, I wake up and I'm like, are we like going to war? Why the fuck am I getting called a million fucking times? And then I get a message and it goes dude, you need to get to work right now. They're doing drug tests on everybody. Oh, and I was like, I was like, ha ha. I was like, guess who didn't get high all weekend? Wow. And everybody that did fucking quick, yeah. quick walk out the fucking door. It's like, well, you popped hot. So yeah. you broke that one. You broke that one rule at the place where we said not to do that one thing. Yeah. You, you couldn't not. You couldn't not do it.
1: Yeah. That's, um, that's oh, a test okay. though, right there. That's like the perfect Like, what is it that you're there to do? What is, like, the overarching sort of goal for the unit, for the the broader institution that you're part of? Like, what is it that they're pursuing? What kind of excellence are they trying to achieve, if any? And it's, you know, that's how you, you can tell the difference, right? It's like if they had no goal as a unit... Then yeah, smoking weed whenever they found themselves you know presented with the opportunity to do so wouldn't be a problem. But because the entire discipline structure is meant to create a kind of I don't know you call it like a kind of uh, it's coherence. It's supposed, it's supposed to create like a coherent product of a, of within the people the persons in the institution. Like it's and it's not a pro, the product is not. Uh, people who smoke weed, right? So, like, when you have your own time and you, uh, you you arrive at Amsterdam of your own recognizance or whatever, then you're free to do so because you are not part of a institution that is trying to because you are yourself you the product.
0: Way. Yeah, you're the so, product. You you are the, you are the readied right. force, and if you are unable to become the product of the readied force then you're taking away. And that's where the UCMJ comes into play. So like you were saying, they can just throw you into the brig. Once that contract is signed, you're held to an entire another body of law. And that is that law that allows them and the command staff or the judges, if you are so to go in front of a judge, they're the determining factors on what happens to you. And it's in relationship to how did you take away from the readied force? Was it morale? Was it operational capacity? Was it influence over others? Like, what was it? What did you do to take away and depragmatize everything involved for this to become a readied force? The product, yeah, and that's where that's where they lead you. They lead you straight into their fucking jails. They kick you the fuck out. You lose all of the benefits or whatever's associated with that. But again, like none of this stuff is that crazy, right? All of these things are basically written out for you. They're talked about a million fucking times. People say, hey, don't do those. Don't do those things. Can you please not do those things? Yeah. This one dude, he, he went off and <laughs> they were doing like a grad. It was like a graduation or a retirement party or something like that. And they went out. All these like 10 guys got belligerently drunk, went back to their dorm rooms and houses. And don't drink and drive, right? That's pretty easy. Like don't don't drink and drive. I feel like everybody's drank and drive and doesn't mean you got caught. But while you're there in the military overseas, don't drink and yeah. drive. And if you drink, if you drink and drive, don't drink and drive and get caught. This dude drove his fucking SUV, like a quarter mile off the base through a McDonald's playpen, pen. Uh, and then, yeah. and then made it and then made it through the playpen and got back to the base gate, which again was a quarter mile away. So the people that were at the gate were like, we just heard that (laughs) like half of your car is fucking destroyed. Get out of the fucking car. And he's like, oh, and I remember going into work the next day and the captain brought us all in and he was going, well, guys, if what happened last night would have happened at a different time and there were kids in that jungle gym, we'd be having a different conversation. I was like, uh, no, we wouldn't. You'd still be here. (laughs) You'd still be saying how much of a fucking idiot this kid is. We'd all still be in awe of that. He actually did it. And then we'd go back to fucking working 16 hours today. Yeah. But he, he lost all of his rank, lost his pay. And Mm. the impact was immediate. That corporate punishment was immediate. Everybody knew, everybody knew the discipline was coming. It was an intense discipline And it resulted in him not continuing to do those actions. Yeah. Most of the time, you don't get the opportunity to have a second chance. But in this case, he did have that second chance, which, again, it's crazy how in these very strict cultures, they allow for the corporal punishment to be so endeared throughout their discipline system. And it's actually respected by the people in it. But maybe that's the fear piece, which is if you're not involved in a country or society or a system where that's the case you have a natural fear to think that oh people will become victimized because of this maybe this won't be the best recourse who's to trust the people that are in charge who's to trust the agents of enforcement yeah. i would just lean on the system i would just lean on the systems though if they're codified correctly and they're enforced by those of which you'd respect how you were describing earlier you'd try to find like some military guys or some people that have already effectively done something similar in a similar type of a system with hopefully like clean records, clean slates. Like you're in a position of power. In my opinion, you're in a position where you can really take a hold of an issue and
1: solve it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I I guess that problem you're talking about is like the problem of like the initial buy-in to a system. Like, like what you're saying, like what if everybody is incentivized or they recognize that they can kind of defect before a, a coherent system is ever put in place? So like, you know, what if, uh, which kind of goes back to the democratic sort of management of the city aspect, like if people can just kind of like vote down any kind of plan to instill like law and order in a city, then yeah, because they're, what they're going to say, they're going to say in the course of that is, I don't trust the police to do this. I don't like police in general. I think I have a better idea. I think I can do this and that. And so I'm defecting from this plan and I'm not providing it with the initial buy-in that it needs. And then you kind of, you can look at the kind of discrepancy between um, what is it, what is like the mainstream sort of city life, like where everyone who is actually gainfully employed Uh, they're working a job, uh, have a regular schedule, so on and so forth. They're the ones that are actually paying into and taking out of the system. And then there's this sort of perpetual, um, like you were saying before, like these problem areas within a city where they never bought into that when it was first starting up or they were not properly inculcated or uh you know um what's what's the word not indoctrinated although i guess indoctrinated works too um they weren't they weren't inculcated in the system at the right time and so they are perpetually defecting from it they're they're going their own way and it just so happens that when they do that they create a a new microcosm of violence and oppression that might feel better to them but you know clearly um you know, it's not like they're living in perfectly peaceful harmony with one another just because they, you know, they reject like police officers or a police force of some kind or law and order of some kind. They they usually live in pretty, uh, you know, they live in squalor and poverty and then they sort of it's it's a very dog eat dog world. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that's the thing. Like, how do you how do you create how do you get the buy in? How do you get the necessary buy-in to like start fresh or to, you know, reinforce and revitalize a certain system or an institution or whatever you want to call it and actually have it provide like stable, predictable, you know, products, results and have it create a certain harmony between people? I mean... I think the problem that America suffers from is that it's like, there's just so many people coming from every direction, every walk of life. It's hard to get them into like a predictable kind of like uh rigorized, um, routine kind of life. And you're always going to have these little pockets that are ungovernable or, you know, uh, just more chaotic than, than their, their worth or whatever. So, Until we gentrify the Dakotas. Shitheads Worldwide.